0: Waiting on that heifer, Julio. F- you, f- you, f- you. You're cool. And f- you, I'm out. Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and I hope everyone had a good first day back at work. If you were able to enjoy the three-day weekend like I was, if not, well, just ignore this entire part of the podcast. So we have a lot to get to. In fact, so much to get to. That we actually can't get to all of it. Um, I'm saving one of the stories. So we're going to talk about it in Thursday's podcast. And it actually relates to something I mentioned last week about a CNBC segment about housing overdevelopment. Because we're hearing about, you know, what are we, anywhere from one to four million homes underbuilt as a society. we need those homes to meet the demand that we currently have. And there's actually someone arguing that we are over developed. (laughs) And I was fascinated by this, but we're not going to have time to get to it today. So we're going to be talking about that on tomorrow's podcast. That's what you call a teaser. Uh, Does it work in the podcast? It worked in radio. I don't know if it works in podcasting. Is that too much time? Are you you not going to listen to this podcast now? You're going to wait until the other podcast comes out. But we do have a lot to get to on this podcast, and we're going to start with rate locks. Now, rate locks, I look at rate locks the same way the Fed looks at PCE in that there's a lot of inflation data, but the one area that they like to focus on to look at inflation is, of course, PCE. Well, with me, if I want to know what's happening in the mortgage industry and with houses, I like to look at rate locks because mortgage demand, that's great, but rate locks really shows people who are involved in the process and have gotten to the point where they are locking in rates. I think it's a it's a better gauge of what is happening with housing. And not surprisingly, just like mortgage demand data, rate locks fell in September. This according to the latest Black Knight Originations Market Monitor report that showed that purchase and cash out rate locks saw a 6% decline from August. Now that's nothing compared to the rate term refinance lending, which saw an even bigger drop at 18.7%. In fact, is now down nearly sixty percent year over year. And that's what happens when you know rates hit historic lows and then are no longer in historic lows. So the decline in rate terms and cash outs means the refi share of the market is back down below fifty percent. And last month, well, that threshold was broken for the first time since February, but Like I said, we are back underneath that. Now, here's the good news. The overall credit score, the average credit score, held steady at 731. So that means we are not seeing a drop in in credit scores, which is what you want to see, right? That means you're still seeing quality borrowers and the people that are being lent money are still well above what we saw back in 2008. The average credit score for purchases was unchanged at 730. Cash out saw a slight drop to 729. And rate term refis fell two points to 735. So once again, well above where we were in 2008. I mean, we're talking about people with mid 700 credit scores. Not bad. That's not something I would be concerned about. Now, Scott Hatt, Black Knight Secondary Marketing Technologies President, noted the psychological impact when rates climb above 3%. We've talked about that here on the podcast before. It is undoubtedly having a huge impact, especially on refis. Purchases, that's a different game. But refis, I mean, yeah, when rates go above 3 refis are drying up across the board. That's what you're seeing in all the data, and especially here, and that's what Scott Happ is saying. He said in a statement, quote, we've noted the psychological threshold of sub 3% rates in the past with movement below that line triggering increased lending activity. What we're seeing now represents the other side of that coin in a certain sense. It remains to be seen how much higher rates will climb and how quickly, and in turn, how borrowers will react. But and here's what I took away from this report. And this was the kind of good news, at least from my perspective. So I mentioned 2008. So a drop in cash out refis because of climbing rates, to me, is a good sign that the housing market, despite you know, low end inventory, well, I guess depending on who you're talking to, talking to the, uh, the guy from that CNBC piece, uh, he thinks that inventory is totally fine. Um, low inventory and rising prices. Besides that, which is causing disruptions here and there, the housing market's stable. You know, you look at 2008 and you had cash outs that were being driven by homeowners who were looking to max out their equity because of financial strain or recklessness, which I guess you can maybe say were the, the same thing. But we're so far from that here in 2021. But that to me is what I see as a good thing when cash out refis are not being led or being driven by people needing money, you know, because they need to make other payments somewhere else or they got to max out their equity. No, they're saying, you know what, if the rates move up, then we're not going to move forward with that. And that's what you want to see that people are making decisions based on rates, not the necessity of money, which to me is a sign we are once again, very, very far from 2008. And another area that we're far from 2008 would be the labor market. Yesterday, we had the monthly job openings report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And despite an anemic jobs report that we talked about on yesterday's pod, openings actually fell for the first time since May. Job openings dropped to ten point four million. That's a drop of six hundred and fifty nine thousand on the last business day of August. Healthcare and social assistance saw the biggest drop at two hundred and twenty four thousand, followed by accommodation and food services down one seventy eight, and state and local government down one hundred and twenty four thousand. Now the number and rate of hires increased, or excuse me, decreased to six point three million. That's down four hundred and thirty nine thousand and 4.3% respectively. But here is the stat that got everyone's attention, every headline that I saw. this In fact, it's the headline for this data in the newsletter this morning, <laughs> and that is quits. So more evidence of a tight labor market continues as quits rose to the highest that we have seen. Quits increased in August to 4.3 million. That was an increase of 242,000, and the rate increased to a series high of 2.9%. Now, if I had to do a little quiz show here and asked you which industry are you probably seeing the most quits happen? Food services. Yeah, not surprisingly. Saw the most quits, 157,000, followed by wholesale trade, 26,000 and then state and local government education up 25,000. So in a sign, maybe, that we could see some cooling in housing, real estate and rental leasing saw the biggest decline in quits at 23,000. Now, I haven't worked in the real estate industry long enough to know, you know, when do you see quits happen? Is it when things are really, really hot or really, really cold? So I I don't know. I would assume that when things are hot, it's easier to jump around to different companies because everyone's looking and everyone's producing. And it may be more difficult when it's bad, but I'm just speculating here. Do not go off my <laughs> speculation on that particular stat, but the quits got everyone's attention because it's such a, weird, such a weird situation. We have still have 5 million fewer jobs than we had before the pandemic, but the the labor market is tighter than it's ever been. I mean, that's why you're seeing wage growth where it is. And that's why you're seeing quits at the level that they're happening. So the bizarreness continues. And I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, if you're a worker, because when you're seeing quits that high, it means people are confident they can leave their job or they already got an offer. And that's why they're leaving from a rival company or another company or whatever it may be. So another sign that this uh, labor market, despite having five million fewer jobs is far tighter than we have seen in at least the last uh, couple years, maybe decade, based on what's happening with uh, wage growth. And ending on a positive note, as we always like to do, loans in forbearance continue to fall. This time for the week ending, October the 3rd. This, according to the latest Mortgage Bankers Association weekly data, total number of loans in forbearance fell an impressive 27 basis points. That's a big drop down to 2.62%. Now, we're looking at 1.3 million homeowners in forbearance plans. And that's a big drop from where we had. Now, we're at 1.3 million. When you're looking at the stages of the forbearance plans, you're looking at 13% are in the initial stage, 77.5% are in extensions. And the remaining 9.2% are re-entries. Mike Frantantoni, the Mortgage Banker Association Senior Vice President and Chief Economist, said that loans in forbearance are disappearing at record levels. This is great news. Quote, many borrowers reached the expiration of their forbearance term and as we entered October or I should say, as we entered October. The pace of exits climbed to the fastest pace in over a year, and the share of loans and forbearance declined at the fastest rate since last October, dropping by 27 basis points. And the good news does not stop there. No, in fact, CoreLogic also yesterday, well, I should say the Mortgage Bankers Association report came out on Monday as usual. I thought maybe Columbus Day might messed that up when it was released. It wasn't. It came out on Monday afternoon. Uh, And we had the CoreLogic report came out on Tuesday morning, which looked at the loan performance insight report, like I said, from CoreLogic that found that in July. So this is obviously a lot older data than what we're getting from the Mortgage Bankers Association, but it's still good. In July, 4.2% of mortgages were delinquent by at least 30 days or more. Now, 4.2% that sounds like a big number. Why am I saying that's great? Well, that's 2.3 percentage points down from where we were the same time a year ago. And, you know, we're talking about July data. The Mortgage Bankers Association is from this week. So there's a big lag. with the corelogic report. And so the fact is that we're st- we're seeing we saw a decline in July and we're seeing that decline all the way to September. I have a feeling the corelogic reports in a couple months that highlights what's happening now is going to show us how great things are. So the serious delinquency rate was 2.8%, but that's down from 4.1% a year ago and it is elevated, but it's the lowest level since May 2020. So good news. I'm taking it as good news. We'd like to see that number lower, but it's still good news. And Dr. Frank Nothaf, the chief economist for CoreLogic, notes that the oversized role that equity gains are going to play in helping distressed homeowners. This is something that I've stressed. He said, quote, even if loan modification or income recovery is unable to help delinquent homeowners become and remain current on their payments, the double-digit rise in home prices may help them avoid a distressed sale. I mean, that's 100% true. I mean, you have people who are behind on their mortgage payments, and they're looking at their situation and saying, okay, we can't afford this house anymore, or, You know, whatever reason that is, but our house has increased by 30% or 40% or wherever they are. Uh, I mean, if they bought it a year ago and immediately went into um, foreclosure, they'd probably still be – or forbearance, they'd still be up like 20%. We're looking at almost 20% year-over-year gains. So people are sitting on a ton of equity. There's no doubt about that. And they're going to be able to walk away. I mean, hopefully they'll they'll walk away with some money in their pocket. But if not, they'll probably walk away even. So they're not going to have to go and do a foreclosure or – through some other type of process that could hurt them when selling the home so they'll be able to leave get out of that property and keep their credit and everything intact which is what you want to see happen so it's it's kind of a it's still not great as i said the number is still elevated but The fact that people are sitting on tons of equity because, you know, no one's doing 100% financing anymore. So there's no doubt these people are sitting on a good amount of equity. All right, we got to go. And don't forget, tomorrow we are going to be talking about, oh, I do have to let you know what's happening today. We got we got a big report coming out. Uh, Well, actually, we got two. We got two big reports coming out at 830. We got the Consumer Price Index. That will let us know what's happening with inflation. It's expected to increase 0.3% month over month. Then at two o'clock, we got the Fed minutes. Ooh, what were they talking about at the last meeting? We're going to discuss that on tomorrow's podcast as well as that CNBC report or that CNBC article that looks into this new reporter, this argument being made that we are actually overdeveloped. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that one. No doubt about that. All right. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. I'll see you back here Thursday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.